you're listening to Threads. My name's Luke Fraser, and this is The Tonic.
seven years in the making, 1990 to 1997, the beatific hypnagogia of a cappella by John Maguire. From Artesia, California, he was a student of both Penderewski and Stockhausen, and after living in the Netherlands, he settled in Germany for around 25 years, finding the artistic atmosphere there conducive and working as a pianist, organist and composer while studying electronic music with the likes of Hans Ulrich Humpert. If we're going to call him a minimalist, then perhaps more than any other I can think of, he represents a synthesis between US minimalism and the concurrent European techniques of serialism and integral serialism, the systemization of each musical element according to preset series. He said in this regard that he is interested in particular in the fusion of elemental tonal functions with chromatic time structures, and the precision of his approach plotting out the timbre and spatial evolution of sounds in minute detail, as evident in a cappella and his other pieces, does really start to sound quite Stockhausian. It was composed for and sung by his wife, the soprano Beth Griffith. He started by recording single tones that she sang, then making groups of recordings allotted to her different vowel sounds. Each of those groups of vowels consisted of several pitches that were then individually recorded at intervals corresponding to the range of Beth Griffiths' voice. And those groups were then effectively treated like digital instruments. Different sets of sounds were extracted and combined into strands of changing vowels, with these strands in turn being overlaid and synchronized to give the polyphonic sequences of two virtual choruses. In performance, Beth Griffith sings to the live playback of these two choruses of samples of her own voice. And there's a fair amount of spatialization in the piece that does perhaps get a bit flattened out in this stereo recording. But there's just something for me about the synthesis of the vocals that lifts the music out of the realm of mere quote-unquote sequencing of electronic music and creates something that, along with some recently played pieces on this show, is placed in that tantalizing space halfway between human and machine. For me, it suggests an unlikely synthesis of composers as seemingly diverse as Philip Glass, Arvo Pert, and Stockhausen, whilst having something slightly medieval or even antique to it in all that luminous vocalizing. The album it's taken from, Pulse Music 3, Vanishing Points, a cappella, comes highly recommended in particular the first of those pieces that makes great use of the potential of spatialization with stereo. All the pieces were originally for multi-speaker systems. It was released on Sargasso in 2002. Mm-hmm. 
heady, earthy, angry, just brilliant. That's LA-based composer Carolyn Chen's My Loves Are In America, written in 2020. She's described herself as making music to look into the inner lives of things. She's a longtime player of the Guqin, the Chinese zither traditionally played outdoors for private meditation, or in her words, distill the spirit and return to the harmony of nature. And for me, a sense of that situatedness really comes out in this piece for a duo of violin and viola. It's a meditation on the current political and economic discrimination being wrought upon undocumented people in the US. The separating of families at the Mexican border, those from South America, from Haiti, from Jamaica, along with the refusal of entry at northern borders for those arriving from Canada, from Africa, and the legalistic justifications for such actions. It's brilliantly written, evocative in its riffs of rootsy Americana on one level, yet shot through with alternately starker, keening, and harsher passages that suggest to me the sadness, pain, and loss of separation. And the transitions between those moods are sinuous, sometimes subliminal and often surprising, one thing giving way to something quite different, and yet with a logic that ties the whole piece together, with a confidence that suggests a fully formed style in its own right. It's taken from the consistently great eponymous debut album by Aperture Duo. They are Adrian Pope, violin, and Linnea Powell on viola. And that's just been released last month on Populist Records. Thank you. 
there's something I find pretty ingenious in the formalism of that. That's Luis Henrik Udo's A Quartet for Palladio, written in 1998. And Palladio was a Renaissance architect active in the Venetian Republic of the late 16th century. I would say the piece is based on a painting of the same name by the composer, but it strikes me as being more a literal rendering of it, always bearing in mind the metaphorical leap of faith in going from one medium to another. He's described it as a process of visual perception leading to sonic solution. He's a Dutch-Brazilian composer of Japanese descent who grew up in the Brazilian countryside before moving to Sao Paulo where tellingly he trained as an architect before working as a fashion designer, illustrator and painter. He's now based in Amsterdam and he's self-taught as a composer, having developed a process of using his own painting as the start point for composition. He usually writes in such a way as to leave certain aspects open to the musicians. In that piece, for example, each of the four instruments may only use four pitches or sounds, which are then assigned to precise rhythms in the score, with those rhythms coming from the painting. As he said, in this way, the musicians can imprint their own personalities on the music they are performing, without compromising the identity of the composition. It's a nice way to produce music that can surprise again and again in each new performance. And that was played there by members of Apartment House. They are Bridget Carey, Viola, Anton Lukovici, Cello, Kerry Young, Keyboard, and Simon Limbrick, Percussion. The album, Louis Henrik Udo, Chamberworks, released on Another Timbre in 2020.
That first piece just instantly caught me when I first heard it last year. Sounding like some kind of extraterrestrial bird chick. That is in fact bassoon, or bassoon mouthpiece, I'm guessing. As played by Donna Jessen on her album Winter Chapel from 2020. The two pieces you heard, Winter Chapel Part 1 and Part 3. Based, I think, in San Francisco, she's a musician who crosses between the worlds of notated music and improvisation, and she's performed with just about everybody in those fields. Her debut album, Carve, showcased both commissioned works and her own improvisations, whereas Winter Chapel focuses just on her own music. It was recorded at Oberlin College's Fairlight Chapel in Ohio, not in fact some kind of enchanted mountain cave as I had envisaged it when I first heard it. I mean, I guess the clue is in the album name. Anyway, it's where she teaches contemporary music and improvisation. It's one of those albums where the sonic environment is completely inseparable from the music performed within it. It's, I think, as much of a component, even a character of this music, as the instrument itself. Or rather, maybe we could say that the instrument is really the instrument and the space. It's also very much the sound of a player mining their instrument and surroundings to the absolute extreme, finding genuinely new sounds through that process, and in so doing, expanding the effective range of what we thought one instrument could cover. Each track has a completely different character, the alien bird of the first piece there, and the arctic wind of the second, being just two of them. Recommended in its entirety, that one. It was released on Carrier Records in 2020.
So when does a cello sound not like a cello? When it's not a cello, of course. When it's the bass viola de gamba, or rather three of them there, playing in canon in Molly Heron's canon number three from 2016. Not too often heard these days, the viola de gamba is effectively a family of bowed, fretted string instruments that's really the precursor to modern day strings. Well, if you consider the early 16th century to be modern, that is. They're all, even the small ones, held between the legs when played, hence the name viola de gamba, vial for the leg. Sounding something like a cross between a cello and a guitar, I'm guessing due in part to the fretting, they have, to my ears at least, a greater purity of tone than modern strings, especially without all that vibrato. Or, in the composer's words, they're sweet and harsh, rich and delicate, airy and earthy, with a deeply human capacity for expression. The album that piece is from, Through Lines, is a recent collaboration between Molly Heron, a New Hampshire native, and the group Science Fictor. Each piece on it focuses on a different found element, be it a form, a gesture, a tuning, an articulation, or an aspect of physicality. I'm inspired by the versatile beauty of this instrument, she said. It contains so many colours and characters. I think of these pieces as each honing in on a different aspect of the vial. Here's one more from the album. <laughs>
2016 by Molly Heron. The title there referencing the rolled chords you hear throughout. That and the previous canon number three were performed by Science Fichter. They are Lauren Ludwig, Zoe Weiss, and Kivi Khan Lipman, all playing bass viola da gamba. The album Through Lines was released last year on New Amsterdam.
Hans Zimmer, but good, as one internet commenter described it. That was Astatine, written in 2019 by Paul Clift. He's an Australian composer based in Baal, Switzerland, who describes his music as attempting to make abstract associations with concepts such as linguistics, modernist literature and painting, cognitive phenomena, and extra-European musical traditions. That piece, well, it sounds to me like an ensemble of about 20 players, is in fact a mere trio, cello, sax, and electric accordion, hence the massive swirling bursts of robotic brassy noise. And astatine, it's the rarest naturally occurring element on Earth. It comes into existence through the decay of heavier elements, and itself decays within anything from a fraction of a second to a few hours. It is estimated that at any given moment, less than a gram of it exists in the Earth's crust. As Paul Clift describes it, it's therefore part of a process of the destruction of matter, of the sudden entropic scattering of quantum energy, which had lain inert for aeons. It's definitely one of the most vivid examples I can think of in terms of pieces that aim to suggest or replicate complex real-world processes, particularly those on the atomic level. They don't always fill me with joy. But this has got a real elemental grown power to it, and it works equally for me, both musically and analogously. And God, it must be a bit of a blowout to see live. It was performed by Trio Satan Wind. They are Olivia Steimel, accordion, Carola Orman, cello, and Jonas Schantz on sax. And you can see it on the Score Follower YouTube channel.
Great use of loop pedal there. That's June parts one and two, written in 2012 by Melissa Dumphy, a composer born to refugee parents and raised in Australia, who immigrated to the US in the early 2000s and is now based in Philadelphia. She's probably best known for her breakthrough 2009 work, the Gonzalez Cantata, based on the Senate Judiciary Committee hearings of former Attorney General Alberto Gonzalez, 
who became mired in the fallout from the exposure of the Bush administration's use of warrantless surveillance of US citizens and use of enhanced interrogation techniques in the post-9-11 war on terror. That piece even garnered mainstream TV coverage in the States, no mean feat for contemporary classical music. Meanwhile, that piece, June, in two parts, was composed for Voice of This Generation and Network for New Music. It's actually for any solo voice, so any range, along with loop pedal, and it's a creative use of that effect, weaving vocal lines that dovetail with each other as they cascade down in the second part there. It's based on the poem of the same name by Lauren Riles Smith, itself in two parts, and relating the experience of a relationship across two consecutive dunes, from the lethargy and tension of the first to the retrospective reflections of the second. It was performed by Jessica Lennick, voice and loop pedal, and it was released on the EP June on Bandcamp in 2012. Thank <laughs> you. 
something very satisfying about that, a bit like scratching an itch. That is Ut, written in 2005 by Marcus Bolter. Originally from Rio de Janeiro, he moved to the US in the 90s and is currently based in New York, where he has become very embedded in the music scene. And it's a common cliche of composers, but in this case, his music really does run the gamut, moving through a very wide range of styles and aesthetics, from spectralism to post-minimalism, and often emphasizing unusual timbres or sound colors, and teasing out the dramatic potential of live performance. And that plays out in his choice of collaborators as well, Alongside major commissions from contemporary classical music venues and ensembles, he's recently worked with the likes of Deerhoof, Alarmal Sound, and Paul Simon, just to pluck a few names out of the proverbial hat there. That's a solo viola you heard in that piece, which focuses on the sonic potential of tremolo, or the rapid alternation between a note or two different notes, and uses different bow pressures to move between pitch sound and white noise. It was performed by Nadia Sarota from her debut recording, First Things First, and that was released on New Amsterdam in 2009.
that is a bit of a gem, written in 1960 by Lina Perez de Campos, that is Acalanto or Lullaby. From Sao Paulo, she was a pianist and teacher. She founded her own piano school alongside writing both classical and popular music. And that's just a lovely little piece combining a lyrical directness that could have come straight out of the pages of the likes of Schumann, along with that slow, lilting samba rhythm. It was performed by Chao Pagano and is taken from the album Obra Para Piano, and that was released on Regia Musica back in 1998. Thank you. 
Stately, solemn, sad, withdrawn, baffled, mad, turbulent, feeble, dissatisfied, desperate, proud, fond, sick. They go, they go. I know that they go, but I know not where they go. But I know that they go toward the best, toward something great. Part of Walt Whitman's Song of the Open Road 
set with a crystalline economy of means there by Australian composer Kate Moore, the final part of her song cycle, The Open Road, written back in 2008. The songs in that work speak of travel, both physically and metaphorically, as endless journeys from birth to death, providing the backdrop for the inner metamorphosis of the soul. It's a beautiful cycle that ranges stylistically from the Elizabethan through the Baroque to something more modernistic and minimal. She's written widely, both acoustically and electronically, often pieces conveying an interest in history, place and psychoacoustics, and she's currently an artist with ECM Records. Some quite lovely piano music of hers is on that label. And though born in Oxfordshire and based for over a decade in the Netherlands, she has identified the Australian landscape of her childhood as creating a lasting impression on her imagination. When I write music, she said, I'm looking for something I get from the Australian landscape, though not necessarily its shape. It's possibly a sense of its soundscape. This amazing three-dimensional soundscape is the most beautiful orchestration imaginable. And it's not so hard to conceive that soundscape here as a proxy for Whitman's American West and those making the journey ever onward within it. That was sung by Michaela Reiner, and she was accompanied by Eva Teb on harp. The album, as mentioned, The Open Road, was released via Kate Moore's Bandcamp in 2010. That's about time for this one. The Tonic will be back on Wednesday, 11th of May at 10am, British Summertime, GMT plus one. As always, do check the show's Instagram page for confirmation, the underscore tonic underscore, and do drop me a message via Instagram or thetonic.online. Thanks as always to Meg, to Rosie, and the whole crew at Threads for hosting. I'm Luke Fraser. Thanks for listening. <laughs>